The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. So what we see is this is not a perfect man, but we can track his struggle and ask, what did he give to own his confession and to make the promise of America more real for everyone? At this 4th of July time, in a difficult period of American history, we're going to take a closer look at the life and service of our first president. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard. My guest is David Zanotti of the American Policy Roundtable and the author of First, The Leadership of George Washington. We'll start the conversation in just a moment. This interview and all of our previous conversations on this program are all available online at firstpersoninterview.com or with our smartphone app, First Person Interview. And the Far East Broadcasting Company makes this program possible. FEBC is celebrating 75 years of ministry, reaching the world for Christ through radio and new media. To learn more about this faithful proclamation of the gospel, visit febc.org. Dave Zanotti is a good friend. Together with a great team, we host the daily and weekly program called The Public Square online and on many stations. Dave has done extensive research into the life of George Washington with the help of an eminent scholar he'll talk about today. So I've invited Dave back to give us some perspective as we observe the 4th of July. I like the independence season, Wayne. We enjoy celebrating it together every year. And I enjoy talking with you about liberty, because whether we're talking about our national liberty here in, the, in America or our spiritual liberty, this is something that you've given a lot of thought to. Well, John Quincy Adams did as well, the sixth president of the United States. And his life is interesting. The son of John Adams, who was the second president, Uh, John Quincy Adams had the experience of working for George Washington, then living in the presidency of his dad, the second president of the United Mm -hmm. States, John Adams. And then he lived long enough to serve in the United States Congress with Abraham Lincoln. I don't think I really understood that. Yeah, so he is one of these contextual people in regards to the founding. He sort of saw everything and then saw into the future and he delivered a speech that I, 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 it's quoted in many places. It's something I only discovered a few years ago when we began the Christmas in America series, where John Quincy Adams talked about America's two most important holidays being Christmas and the 4th of July, mm-hmm. and that the relationship between the two was liberty. That just as the Messiah had been promised to ancient Israel to come to set captives free, So in reality, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fruition, the reality of that promise, Mm. and how that Christ setting people free from the inside out enables us to learn how to love one another so that we can treat each other with the respect that is afforded to those who understand that every human being is a creation of Almighty God. Therefore, the celebration of liberty is linked to the celebration of Christmas. He said that there's a linkage between Bethlehem and the 4th of July, and I've always found that to be most fascinating. Yeah, I love that connection. Maybe we should spend more attention, more time studying John Quincy Adams. Uh, He's certainly a great read and a great study, and, and a president of the United States who went back to serve in the United States Congress after the presidency. He died yes. in the Capitol, uh, and he went to work every day in the Congress of the United States to work for the abolition of slavery. 
Hmm. Wow. Well, maybe we can focus on him completely in a future conversation, (laughs) because I've asked you to talk about George Washington today. With so much written about Washington, so much study, so much scholarly work done, you decided to study this on your own, and you took an extra step in it. You showed up at Mount Vernon, not just as a tourist, but you took along an expert, a scholar with you. So I want to hear about uh, what your thoughts are on George Washington. You've written a book about it called First. Well, that book uh, is a collaborative effort with Dr. W.B. Allen, um, who has a academic portfolio and uh, series of credentials that are simply outstanding. Uh, Dr. Allen is the uh, Dean Emeritus of the James Madison College at Michigan State University. Uh, he has taught at the University of Colorado, at Ashland University, at Princeton, uh, and so many other places. He is one of America's preeminent political philosophers, and also happens to be an expert on George Washington, recognized around the world. And I was doing a master's class study with Dr. Allen, and he brought up the question of George Washington in a study that we were doing on Harriet Beecher Stowe's work, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And he asked the question why Harriet Beecher Stowe would portray the cabin of the slaves in that book, with a portrait over the fireplace. And that portrait being a portrait of George Washington. Hmm. Why would George Washington appear in a slave's cabin in this epic work of abolition? And of course, he didn't give us the answer to the question. Uh, And that question sent me on a pursuit of years of study on the life of George Washington. Now, fortunately... I had the privilege to become uh, friends with this preeminent scholar and wonderful Christian man uh, with a wonderful family, lovely wife, such, just such blessed people. You had the privilege to meet Dr. Allen. You yes, know what I a have, great guy right. he is. And uh, Dr. Allen befriended me and was willing to mentor me through the project of writing another book on George Washington. Of course, I didn't start that process until I said to him the same thing you said. Uh, Doc, there's about a million books written about George Washington. How dare I add another? But what we did in this project was to take Dr. Allen's work, which was thousands of documents that he had read. He had, he's analyzed over 100,000 documents of what, that Washington wrote in his own hand condensed a volume, an edition that is for sale at Mount Vernon and in many other places as well. And that was, uh, that about 700 pages of that work was then, we took, I took the ones that I thought that a guy flying on an airplane or a gal flying on an airplane across country mm-hmm. or from, from Colorado to uh, Georgia could take a book and in a flight back and forth, read a handful of those documents and capture the essence of George Washington's character on leadership. And so that's the premise of the book first, The Leadership of George Washington. How did Washington see the world, and how did he want us to see the world, so that we could lead in the journey of liberty? Well, let's deal with that here on First Person, Dave. And let me deal with the obvious right up front. Many people say and question his leadership in our time because he was someone who profited from the slave trade from from slaves working his property? That's a right question, and it's an appropriate question, and it's one that we take a, a good amount of time in the book, and also in the audio series that we did with Dr. Allen discussing this, and with the video uh, session as well. I wish there's a short answer to this question, but it's a very spiritual answer, and I want people to understand that in writing this book, 
we are forwarding George Washington as an example of a Christian who is born into a culture, who's given an arc of life, a period of time, and who must be honestly judged based upon how they dealt with the circumstances that they were basically born into. Mm-hmm. And how did they change the environment? How did they change personally? How did they use their time, energy, assets, resources, and treasures in regards to the moral arc of the universe? So the arc of Washington's life, the arc, the moral arc of the universe. In other words, what does God require of us? That famous passage from Micah. What does God require of us? And how did Washington walk in the light of those two arcs? Yeah. That's now, very important to understand, and I, I, I know you write about this as well. Well, and this is not to say that a snap judgment on a bad guy in history is necessarily inappropriate. The question is, how do we judge people's lives fairly, and how would we want our lives to be judged? Mm-hmm. Now, I also want to be careful because there are people whose ears are attuned to anyone who dares to, they would say dares to create a moral equivalency between the egregious, un, un, unthinkable, and I was almost going to say unforgivable, but that would be, be unbiblical, mm-hmm. the, the egregious and inestimable mistake of America uh, permitting slavery from the founding era until after the Civil War. Those years are considered America's, by many, America's unforgivable sin. Well, the scripture tells us that every sin but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is forgivable. But I can understand why some people would say that this is a a grievance that could never be resolved. I understand the intensity of that debate. And so I would never attempt to make a moral equivalency. I want to be very clear about that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a lot of bad things in this country, and we're still doing a lot of bad things in this country. Uh, And we are not perfect people. But there's, there is no other comparable example. So the question is, how did Washington deal with this? If you start at the end of his life, it's interesting, because then you have to ask a lot of other questions. Let's just take two points. Uh, Washington, at the age of 11, inherited his first slaves. That's a point most people don't realize. He didn't have a choice in the matter. He inherited those slaves because Washington's dad died. He actually came, George Washington came from uh, uh, he was he was almost an orphan in his life, and then he married into a blended family. And so this is something people don't realize about the founding father. He understood blended families from the beginning. Uh, but Washington inherited as a child, as an 11-year-old, he inherited slaves from his father's estate. Then when his older brother passed away, he inherited more land and property. Washington was not born rich, And nor did these inheritances make him rich. They just gave him more problems to deal with at a very young age. And then let's look at the end of Washington's life. At the end of his life, in his last will and testament, after being America's first commander-in-chief, the general that won the war for independence, the intellectual visionary who wrote in his circular letter to the states, what the union of the states should look like, and basically prefaced or prefixed the pillars upon which our Constitution would stand. The man who then chaired the Constitutional Convention, who then became the unanimous selection twice to be the first president of the United States, and now is back at Mount Vernon at the end of his life, setting precedent in every one of those experiences, chooses to free his slaves. And then to set the wheels in motion so that all the slaves at Mount Vernon will ultimately be free, or nearly all of them. 
Yeah, it speaks very loudly of his integrity and at the end of his life. So what we see is this is not a perfect man, certainly born in an imperfect world, but we can track his struggle and ask, what did he give to own his confession of faith and to make the promise of America more real for everyone? More with Dave Zanotti on the life and leadership of George Washington coming up next on First Person. I so enjoyed listening to the message that FEBC shared on the internet recently, although I cannot attend church or any meetings during this epidemic. I am finding peace and learning so much through your programs. Praise the Lord. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company. Until all have heard. My guest is my good friend, David Zanotti, who's president and CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, the author of several books, including First, The Leadership of George Washington, Dave, you've spent a good chunk of your time looking into the life of Washington, more than just a casual uh, study of Washington, including your visit to Mount Vernon. And I'm just curious, what did you learn from actually being at Mount Vernon that you couldn't have picked up otherwise? Well, I learned a couple of things. One, I learned that the magnificent Mount Vernon Ladies Association that has preserved this property from the time of the Civil War forward, uh, when when it had fallen into tremendous disrepair, uh, and, and basically was a forsaken land, that they picked this up and they put it together because they said there's one place, and if, if, there, if there can be only one place in America where things do not change, where they remain the same, so that we have a living historical museum of what it looked like in Washington's life in that period of time, this would be the place. And they've accomplished it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm a tremendous admirer of them. That's one of the things I've learned. Number two, William B. Allen is a celebrity everywhere he goes, but especially at Mount Vernon. (laughs) Um, He walks that place with an affinity that is actually um, extraordinary to watch, and we actually videoed it as well as doing an audio tape. Um, And then third, I learned that the people who know the most about Washington are very comfortable with the way that we are discussing his life, because we focus in the book first on three key words— prescience, precedence, and providence. Now, the words are a little gummy, almost poetic, and you have to unpack them to make sense. Prescience, meaning Washington saw things other people didn't see. Secondly, Washington recognized that everything he was doing, because of his position of leadership, would set a precedent. Therefore, he was very careful about what he wrote and what he did. It's intimidating, to me, morally intimidating, how careful he was and how careless I am, and, and, and so many people I see in leadership. And then thirdly, providence. It is impossible to understand George Washington's life, his love, his passion, his actions, his understanding of America, and his depth of perception of the spirit of liberty without understanding what a deep and abiding believer he was in the revelation of God in the person of Christ. Did you see a progression in his life in regards to faith? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I think the best example of that is in his circular letter to the states, which for me was a completely undiscovered document. 
which I found in my study with Dr. Allen, in which George Washington, at the end of the Revolutionary War, wrote a letter to all of the states, to the leadership of the states, explaining how America needed to go forward. And he closed that letter with a prayer. Now, this was, without a doubt, uh, to this point in the moment, the, the most significant piece of writing he would do, and, and some people believe that he would ever do. And he closed it with a prayer that Americans would do what the Bible teaches, that we would do a justice and love mercy and walk humbly before our God. And he went even farther to say that we would come to understand that the only hope we have to be a happy people and a successful nation is to become imitators of the person of Christ. Wow, that plays well today, doesn't it? That the character of Jesus Christ is the essential character that we must emulate if we're ever to survive as a free nation. Those words blew me away. Yeah, it's powerful. So you've written about the leadership of George Washington. Just one or two lessons uh, quickly that you've learned. Well, one is to not give up. Washington didn't beat the British. We didn't win the war for independence. America simply outlasted the British. Hmm. And that's one of those points of perseverance that's remarkable with Washington. Is to, is, is, and then the next is to never, ever stop learning. George Washington was a phenomenal student and a phenomenal writer. There's over 100,000 documents written in his own hand. And then I think that one of the most insightful realities is, is Washington knew his time for departure. He was only out of, the, out of the White House for 33 months, and then he died. But with, and he died within three days. He was perfectly healthy, and then he was gone. He was prepared to leave. And he left messages that were perfectly clear on how he hoped people would follow in his footsteps. When we began this conversation, you talked about the in Uncle Tom's cabin, the slave cabin, with George Washington's portrait hanging in the cabin. Given what you've understood now about Washington, your study of George Washington, why was that picture so prominent in that book? Wayne, I'm not sure I can ever answer that question. I don't know exactly why Harriet Beecher Stowe did it, uh, and, and, and she never really articulated it at length. But I think from all of the study I've done, what she was trying to say was that people understood, and I think maybe the life of Frederick Douglass would intimate this, mm -hmm. people understood of every color of skin all around the world that when you read the Declaration of Independence, that the promise of America was not just for a dominant class or for a successful group of people and culture. The promise of America, that promise of liberty, comes from the Creator and truly is for all people. Dave, you mentioned the war for independence. By the way, you don't call it the Revolutionary War, do you? I, I like your thinking on this. You got, you got me. <laughs> Explain that. Well, it was a war for independence because it, it started, it, it certainly wasn't a revolution. It was not an attempt by the American people to take over or displace the British government. It was a war based upon a set of ideas articulated in the Declaration of Independence that all people should be free and that the American colonists had lost a seat at the table. They never were given one. They were, in fact, subjects and not treated as equals. But God had made all people equal with certain inalienable rights and that they had to take a stand. They did not fire the first shot. They defended what they believed were their God-given rights. I've adopted that. It's now the war for independence instead of a revolutionary war. In your study of George Washington, what did you learn about him during those war years? Well, I learned that he made a tremendous sacrifice. Uh, George Washington served as commander-in-chief without a salary. All he asked was for a moderate uh, uh, 
reimbursement of his expenses at best. And I think he lost a lot of receipts that never got presented. Um, In addition to that, he sacrificed everything. Martha joined him winter after winter after winter on the field. Uh, People don't realize that Martha Washington uh, is so much a part of this story, such a vibrant part, that um, she had four children, all of whom passed away. And her son, Jackie, died in the camp of George Washington in the final week of the war. Hmm. Uh, it's a tragedy uh, of reality that the Washingtons sacrificed everything. People think that they were these incredible, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people. Well, George Washington married a woman who had a lot of land, and that gave him a lot of obligation for the rest of his life, which he Mm -hmm. never felt he could ever catch up to. And by and large, he died sort of broke because he gave everything, including every ounce of his time, to establish a nation that would set people free. You mentioned uh, Martha Custis Washington traveling to be with uh, George Washington on the field of battle sometimes, and in, in the vicinity at least. We think of that now in terms of how quickly we travel from place to place. Think about what a hardship that was, weeks of travel in terrible weather you know, by carriage. And disease and, and so many other things. The amount of sacrifice that these people made so that we could have a form of government in the hope of liberty for all. That sacrifice was complete, and that sacrifice was total, and it was infectious. It wasn't just George Washington. It was every family, every man, woman, and child that took to the field. It was everyone who helped to build a nation and to sustain themselves. Every person who gave up their own way to to, to find a better way. The sacrifice of the founding generation created a platform for liberty like humanity has never seen before or never known before. And this all hubs from the reality that they believed there was a God in heaven who called them to a higher ideal, to an ideal of liberty and justice for all. Now, that's the promise of America. They made the sacrifice to move it way down the field. I fear, Wayne, in our generation, we've taken it so for granted that we forgot that for that vision to truly be perfected or to be advanced on this earth, it still requires sacrifice today. Lessons from the Leadership of George Washington on this edition of First Person. My guest has been David Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable and the author of First, A Study of Washington's Life. There will be more about Dave's book as well as his radio program, The Public Square, which is also available online. You'll find the links at firstpersoninterview.com. If you joined us late or want to listen again and even pass this conversation on to someone else, use that same link, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll find our smartphone app free in your app store. Look for First Person Interview. And you can leave comments at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. And a special word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making this program possible. FEBC is fully dedicated to proclaiming the gospel in many local languages in nearly 50 countries of the world. 900 local language broadcasters are working every day to speak and teach God's word, sometimes in places otherwise hard to reach. The feedback from listeners turning to Christ is incredible, and you can see and hear many of these stories at febc.org. febc.org. FEBC until all have heard. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview here on First Person. Join us then.